0: good morning to that. That is hard to beat. Amen? That is awesome. So I'm looking forward to seeing Alexis grow forward in faith and uh, get out of the way of these gentlemen. So it's good to, good to have you here this morning. If you have your Bibles, don't turn to the book of Exodus. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, turn to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah. I can throw you off there uh, just a little bit. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9. As you're turning there, I just want to thank Brian Clark, who's not in the building, for preaching here last week. He did a great job. As always, and uh, and I'm excited to to be able to see what God's going to do with He and Mindy and and the kids as they go forward in faith and plant another church in London next year, uh, and so that's exciting. It was a good update, uh, and so you can with the Christmas music and all that's going on. It's really festive and exciting, uh, and uh, seeing Alexis's baptism was uh, is really cool. That is, we could just say Amen and go home. But I got more for you this morning as we start a series. Uh, called Remembering Christ This Christmas. It's a sermon series, and uh, as I get ready to start, uh, if you don't have a handout, because I didn't have them ready, so if you would like a handout this morning, the ushers are out. They're going to be coming up and down the aisle, and as they're doing that, camera guys, don't worry about following me. I I forgot something, so I'm going to use this occasion to get it. Um, when you get to hit 50, you need these. I promise you that. And uh, and so, uh, yeah. If you could, if you uh, would like a, an outline here. It's coming to you here in just a few minutes as the ushers make their way up and down the aisles, so just be patient with them. <clears throat> and uh, as they're doing that, if you don't have a Bible, uh, you can grab one from the seat rack in front of you and turn to page 944, according to my calculations. I hope that's accurate. And if it's not, you can yell at me and say, Wrong number, but I'm pretty sure that's it. I looked it up uh, last night. So, Nine hundred and forty-four. So the series I'm very excited about is called "Remembering Christ this Christmas," and we're talking about the promise of Christmas this morning, basing out of Isaiah chapter nine and verse six. And Christmas has been so commercialized that it, it's almost a, a turnoff uh, to some to some of us at Christmas time. Uh, I was with Pastor Pradeep, uh, and uh, he was amazed that uh, we were that right after Thanksgiving, the next day we're out and about and. And uh, he heard all of these, you know, Christmas songs immediately. And I'm like, yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? Um, And so I'd like to say it's because we love Jesus so much. We just can't wait to sing about him. But I think it's more about getting our our minds in the right uh, frame to go to Black Friday shopping, you know. So it's like, wah, 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 you know. It's like, you know, uh, the Grinch that stole Christmas. But, uh, uh, of course, in his heart, it was was to Christ. But in our culture, we know, because we live here, a lot of times, that's programming. It's about getting people prepared to spend money and uh, spend more money than you have uh, for things you don't really need and uh, make more stress in your life so that you can destroy your family instead of build it up, right? And so, now that's not the heart of Christmas at all, and that's not what we want, but sometimes we've got to get back to Christmas and make sure we have Christ uh, in Christmas, and I want to just take a few weeks and talk about that, and uh, that's why I want to take this uh, opportunity to reinvigorate the real miracle of Christmas, and that's the... Uh, incarnation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because we can't afford to remove Christ from Christmas. And in reality, we can't afford to remove Christ from culture. Uh, That's the only thing that holds us together. And so, uh, it is one of the few times in a year that the world stops and acknowledges that there is a Son of God, and His name is Jesus Christ. So we need to definitely take advantage of that. And some may point out that Christmas is, is pagan, You know, you always got the naysayers. Yeah, but Brian, don't you know, you know, you know, how are you going to reconcile the Christmas tree and how are you going to handle Santa Claus and reindeer and mistletoe and the Yule log and all of those things uh, with the incarnation of Christ? You know, are we going to be syncretists? And of course not. We're not going to do that. But uh, we're free. Uh, We can't, we won't. We're not even going to worry about that because we're focusing on Christ. We know Christ wasn't born on December 25th uh, or in December for that matter, But, but that's okay. We celebrate the resurrection on the first day of the week, every week, all right? We celebrate Jesus because he's alive right now. So what's important is that we seize the opportunity to focus uh, folks, including ourselves, starting with us, on the purpose of Christ's first coming, so that we are prepared for his second coming. Uh, We need to be focused on and understand his first coming, because if you look in the Bible, right? Not a Hallmark, (laughs) Just to quote, you know, <laughs> Brian Clark—not Hallmark—but look at the look at the at the Bible. You're going to find that when you you see the first coming, you're also going to be looking closely behind at the second coming. We'll look at that here in just a few minutes. But this series will take us all the way up to Christmas Eve, and each week we'll see the different aspects of of Christ and Christmas. So this week uh, we're going to focus on the promise of Christmas as we consider the prophecies that are fulfilled in Christ's birth. Um. So December 17th, coming up next week, we're going to look at the, the price of Christmas as we consider the cost of Jesus' incarnation, and on Christmas Eve, we'll be looking on the 24th of December at the, uh, at the uh, focus of power of Christmas as we consider the power of Christ at his first advent. So I'm excited about all of those things. I hope you keep coming and hang around for all the study and bring your friends and family as we remember Christ at Christmas. Make sure Christ is the centerpiece of ...of what we're doing this Christmas. So let's dig in right now. If you have your Bibles, uh, Isaiah chapter 9, a familiar passage. Um, Many of us probably know this verse could quote it, but let's look at it again with our eyeballs. Let's lay our eyeballs on the Word of God, and then we'll pray and ask God to open up some things... ...that maybe uh, we can utilize in our lives today, some things that will glorify Him in time and eternity. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, the Bible says, "...for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given." And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and the, uh, the Prince of Peace, verse 7, the increase of his government, of the increase of his government, I should say, rather, and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage this morning, I pray, God, that you are glorified in what is said and, Lord, the fruit that comes from it. Lord, you have brought us here today to encourage our hearts. As uh, we know that you inhabit our praise, we've sung about your first uh, coming, your advent, uh, when you came the first time and uh, came to manifest yourself in the flesh. And so, Father, we've lifted up your name, we've also honored the, the uh, ordinance of baptism as we've watched Alexis uh, take that step of faith and say, I'm following the Lord obediently. I'm going to that next level, that next step. I'm counting myself as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Heavenly Father, you honor her decision. Lord, I pray right now for those that can't be with us. I know Franny uh, is in the hospital and, and uh, she's not coming out of her sleep. And I pray, God, that you help her awake Lord, we pray this morning for other members of the body that aren't able to be with us, and we pray for the health physically, but also spiritually. Lord, there are people, even in this room, I'm certain, that are sick of heart. Lord, there are burdens, and there are weights, and there are things that that ruin uh, the joy of Christ, let alone the joy of Christmas. And so, Father, I pray today that that you would just uh, quicken your word in a way that brings light and life to every heart in this room and those beyond that may be listening online. And Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that you would be uh, glorified in all that's said and done. We thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. So, this passage is familiar uh, to us. Unto us, a child is born. And as we enter, thank you, as we enter the Christmas season, it's important to remember that a child was born, uh, not formed from the dust of the ground as was the first Adam. This child, the last Adam, was born of a woman, hearkening back to Genesis 3.15, when God spoke to Satan of his untimely, or his ultimate, I'm sorry, defeat from the uh, seed of a woman. So this uh, this child that we're talking about is a fulfillment of the prophecy in Genesis 3.15. It says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And when we talk about Christmas, we're talking about the fulfillment. Of that prophecy. The the baby, this baby is that prophesied one that would would grow to crush the head of the serpent. In 1739, Charles Wesley published the famous and familiar Hark the Herald Angel Sings. I think we all probably know that song. And uh, in that familiar song, Charles captures the essence of what we see um, in the six opening words of Isaiah, chapter 9 and verse 6. He says, Christ by highest heaven. Adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh and Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. He goes on to say, hail the heavenly prince of peace, hail the son of righteousness, light and life <clears throat> to all he brings risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lay his glory by. I want you to get this. Born that no more may die, that no man uh, no more may die. I'm sorry, I'm butchering this. Okay, I'm going to relent. Amy's, I can hear her thoughts. All right, so thank you, honey. Is that right? We're one flesh. I knew it. So Born that man no more. Oh, so better, so much better. All right, so born, uh, born that that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Now that's not familiar. That's not unfamiliar to probably anybody in the room. But it is good every once in a while to just really let those words sink in, because that is really a, a wonderful uh, summary of really what the incarnation of Christ is all about and the fulfillment of what the Bible promised. So this child w- has brought redemption to the fallen seed of Adam, and will forever crush the head of his ancient enemy, Satan. And we cannot consider the first advent without considering the second, as they are necessarily tied together by prophecy. As we just read in Isaiah 9, chapter 6 and verse 7, this brings us, uh, or chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, this brings us to the first point of study this morning. So if you have your little outline, point one is the promise of Christmas is found in the prophecy of Christ's birth. That probably won't surprise you as the first point because that's what we've been talking about is the prophecy of Christ's birth. The promise of the virgin birth is found in Scripture. Not just in Isaiah chapter 9, but if you just go back a page in chapter 7 and verse 14, the Bible says, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Now we know in 1 Corinthians that that sign is to who? The Jews, right? This is Isaiah writing to the nation of Israel. The Lord therefore... Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall call his name Emmanuel. So, this child's name will be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. With this, the virgin birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was broadcast 700 years before uh, he was born. So, point B the promise of his Jewish birthright is found in Scripture. So, God reveals the birth of his son to Satan. In the garden, as as we've already seen in Genesis 3.15, that prophecy was set forth early on. And so this has already been established. But he goes on further in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. He, the Lord promises to Abraham, he says, Now the Lord hath said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a, a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in these shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And so he announces the gift of his son will come through Isaac and Jacob and and lead to Jesus through this Jewish lineage, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The promises go on, and I'm not going to get all those references out for you this morning, but it's very clear that God continues to promise the seed all the way down to Judah. Al Shiloh will come. Uh, from his loins. And of course, we find that in the book of Genesis at the end there, I believe, in chapter 50 or back in the 40s. So um, he announces and he broadcasts what I call the Messiah Highway, so you can't miss it. And that ends up arriving through Judah to a man named David, who many of us are familiar with. And David arises and he prays about building God a house, right? He's got his house established. Israel's having worship in Jerusalem now. They got their capital. They got their, their Everything is is going well, and he's like, you know, Lord, uh, why don't I build you a house? And uh, God's like, well, David, because I don't need one. I've never had one. I wasn't asking for one. But you know what? Just because you're good-hearted, I'm going to let you build me a house. We'll go ahead and go with that. And let me give you something. Since you, it's Christmas and you want to give me something, uh, let me give you something back. I'm going to promise you that your seed will reign on this throne forever. Specifically, in Second Samuel chapter 7, I'll just read this and you can turn to it if you have your Bibles, but Second Samuel 7 and verse uh, 12, this is what the, the prophet Nathan says to David in response to David's uh, desire to see God have a, a home, a, a permanent dwelling there in place of that tabernacle. And he says in verse 12, and, and when the days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy father, so after David dies, I will set up thy seed after thee. "...which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever." Forever. And, when, and by the way, when God says forever, he actually means forever. It's like, wow, and that's not lost on David. In verse 14, he goes on to say, and I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men." And with the stripes of the children of men. Of course we know he didn't commit iniquity. Verse fifteen, but my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and the kingdom and, <clears throat> and thy kingdom shall be established for ever and ever before thee. Uh, thy throne shall be established for ever, according to these words and according to all the visions, so did Nathan speak unto David. That's an amazing promise and amazing prophecy. And of course, that was spoken uh, to David, uh, you know, a thousand years before Christ ever came. And so God describes this, uh, his eternal nature and his rule and his reign, as we've already read in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. So it's not just about a child being born, but he goes on to talk about, uh, you know, he will have this government upon his shoulder and, and that he is called Wonderful and Counselor, even the Mighty God the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I mean, you can't miss it. This is God manifest in flesh. You can only miss it unless you go to that church caddy corner across the highway. But anyway, so, so, I mean, he is God manifest in the flesh. So the promise of his birthright is also, it's found in Scripture. Uh, In Matthew chapter 5, or Micah, I should say, rather, chapter 5 and verse 2, the Bible says, But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though so thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. And of course everlasting means he's eternal. These prophecies are about the manifestation of God in the flesh. And so as an adult, Jesus frequented Galilee because he was, um, you know, because that location is where Joseph and Mary had settled after returning from Egypt. And it's, it's located north of Bethlehem, if you've ever looked at it on a map, and uh, it's, it's a little distance up to the Galilee. Today it's not as far as it would have been in Jesus' day, because uh, it wasn't a, an easy route to get back and forth. But nonetheless, um, uh, it was known, Galilee, where Jesus was residing, after he returned from Egypt, is known for having a nationalistic uh, population. So what does that mean? I mean, you might have found a redneck, I don't know. But there was people out there, they were holding on to God, and uh, they were holding on to the Bible that they had, the knowledge they had of it, and they were holding on to their identity as Israelites. These were not people that wanted the Romans in their region, right? And so that was the area that Jesus uh, had uh, you know, come up in and, and where he began his public ministry. And so uh, it's interesting because um, only the Jews who took time to investigate the birth of Christ would find that indeed Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Because everybody knew this guy, Jesus, that everybody's talking about. Well, he comes from Galilee. And a bunch of Galileans follow this guy around. I mean, Galilee, by the way, was really happy to hear about a Messiah because they thought, well, this Messiah is going to throw off the government. And he's going to throw off the, the, they're going to throw off the the Romans. Get these dudes out of here. We're going to get our nation back. That's what they were looking forward to. They wanted to see their Messiah come but they really didn't think about how their Messiah needed to deal with their sin, right? They were more concerned about how the Messiah needed to deal with their state. And uh, now, by the way, today, the Messiah needs to deal with the state, but it's never going to happen unless he deals with individual sin, right? And so be careful today, because people sometimes are looking for deliverance in all the wrong places. Uh, Jesus Christ is the only person that's actually going to keep his promises. And so... Um, so Jesus Christ, of course, um, uh, had to go down and flee into Egypt early on. And we'll talk about this a little more later, but Jesus was born in Bethlehem as we all sing about, and we all know, and we all know about that. I'll be talking about that more as we go forward. Um, but Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And at that time, Herod knew, uh, <coughs> that, uh, there was a seed because the wise men came and, and he was privy to the prophecy and, and he took, he took it to heart so much so that he killed all the children to and under, as you guys may know. And so he committed genocide, and God gave gave, uh, a warning uh, to Joseph, um, and uh, and he got him out of there um, and took him down to Egypt. Now, what's interesting about that is later on, uh, you know, Nicodemus has had an interaction with Jesus Christ, and he's sympathetic uh, to uh, what Jesus Christ is saying, and he's with the Pharisees. He's a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He's a teacher. Um, and he's trying to give a little space so they might hear Jesus because what he's hearing from Jesus is very compelling He's he's beginning to think maybe this is the Messiah And of course the Jews turn on Nicodemus and this is what they say to him in John seven fifty two. They answered and said unto him art thou also of Galilee search and look for out of Galilee Ariseth no prophet and so And by the way, that actually, I went and researched that one. That's actually not true. There are prophets. I don't remember now off the top of my head, but there are prophets that came out of Galilee. Uh, But that's neither here nor there. Uh, But like David, this child born unto Israel was the good shepherd, born in a manger located in Bethlehem, announced by angels and attended by lowly shepherds that walked the same hills as David, the shepherd boy, once walked. And so this, this man, Jesus, was born in Bethlehem. And today, Bethlehem is occupied by... Arabians called Palestinians. However, the Jewish settlements being built around Bethlehem in the West Bank uh, um, uh, by those that are repatriating the location uh, are kind of are causing even more tension, surprisingly, not. Uh, and so, so who knows what will become of all that, but eventually Jesus Christ at his second coming will again take Bethlehem back and give it to his chosen people Israel. But there are many more prophecies of Christ's first coming uh, that that chronicle in detail his movements and motions uh, from his life um, uh, from his life from birth to his crucifixion. So even the study of Exodus is a shadow of Jesus's short time in Egypt. Uh, we, we've been studying the book of Exodus and seeing Israel, and I've been emphasizing over and over in chapter four how God calls Israel as a nation His son. Right? He's the son. Well, there's a reason for that because Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And, in, and the Bible even tells us in Hosea 11, a prophecy in Hosea 11, verse 1, when Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. So God just points that, puts that in later on in the prophets, in the minor prophets, and Hosea drops that little nugget uh, because later on he'll pick it back up again in Matthew chapter 2. Historically, God called Israel, the nation, his son, as we've seen him coming, as he's drawing them out of Egypt and we're talking about on Sunday morning, um, normally or most weeks uh, but then you know we see that prophetically the Holy Ghost leaves room uh, to allude to the love Israel <clears throat> to, uh, to, to love Israel by calling his son the Lord Jesus Christ out of Egypt so in Matthew 2 verse 13 uh, G- God says here in the word and when they departed behold the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt. And be thou there uh, until I, I bring word, uh, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and, there, and, they were, <clears throat> and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by the Lord, by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Oh, wait a minute. I thought that was talking about Israel in Hosea. But yet in Matthew, it's talking about Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because that's how God's God's word works. God is laying out that prophecy, and it has a dual meaning. In one sense, it deals with the nation of Israel, his son. But in this sense, God is also likening that it's a shadow of his son. And he will also die for the sins of Israel, as well as the sins of all mankind. So, your first point is complete. The promise of Christmas is found in the prophecy of Christ's birth. Right? So the prophecy of Christ's birth is a big deal, and I didn't exhaust that. We could go on and on. And when you start getting into to shadows and types and all of those things, man, this, this it just explodes off the pages in the Old Testament. And it's like, how could you miss it? But yet many people did. Just like many people today will go out and they'll go shopping, and they'll go to the mall, and they'll buy gifts, and they'll listen to Christmas songs, and they'll they'll go watch Handel's Messiah. Or, or the, we just saw a great performance of... Uh, of uh, the Christmas carol this week. It was wonderful with the gospel kind of weaved in through all the songs, and people will listen to that thing, and they'll do all of that, and you know what they'll do? They'll miss Jesus in Christmas. They just won't really see what the first Advent is all about. They really will miss the reality that Jesus didn't just come to this earth to bring peace by being a child. He came to bring bring peace by dying on the cross for our sins, Right? They leave out the the crucifixion. They leave out the resurrection. They leave out the price of our sin. It's hard to think about that, isn't it? That our sin cost an innocent, the only innocent man, his life. And when you read those prophecies about how God will chasten his son for his sin, but I won't forget my mercy, we all know that son that got chastened is us, right? Jesus didn't deserve that, but he got it. He took it for us. So the second thing we need to look at is the promise of Christmas is found in the purpose of Christ's life. Christ's life had a purpose. Maybe maybe this morning your life needs some purpose. You need to get fired up about who Jesus Christ is and and what he's done for you. And and you know what? Then your life will be meaningful. There's a lot of vanity in this world. A lot of people looking for opportunities to to, uh, find the next uh, adrenaline rush. And you know what? You're not going to find anything that's going to satisfy your soul outside of Jesus Christ and his word. You'll just be living off the next high, the next, the next uh, you know, thing on your phone that pops up or the next uh, thing you hear or the next thing you see, the next thing that stimulates you to just kind of keep you in that trough of life until you get to the end and find out it was pointless without Jesus Christ. Now, I'm talking to the choir this morning. I think most of you probably already know that's, that's not your case. If you're born again, you know there's more to this life, which is great. Jesus Christ's life had a purpose, and so does yours. Our, my life and your life has a purpose this morning, and we need to recognize that. The first thing that we see this morning in regard to the purpose of Christ's life is that the purpose of Christ's incarnation uh, is to reveal uh, the invisible God to man. Uh, forgive me, I have a typo there. It says as, as revealed. So it is to reveal uh, the invisible God to man. So John chapter 1 and verse 18 says, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is uh, in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So no man seen him. However, John 14 says this in verse 8. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Show us the Father, God, and, it, and it we'll be, be good, Jesus. Just show us the Father. And just, This is what Jesus said. Have I been so long a time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. How sayest thou then show us the Father? If you're going to see the Father, who are you going to see? Jesus, that's right. Because He is God manifest in the flesh. So, point B the purpose of Christ's incarnation is to guarantee the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant. So we we have already seen the Davidic prophecy, both in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 7. Uh, as it goes on to talk about that throne. Also, 2 Samuel chapter 7, we saw that. But God confirms to Mary through an angel that the child shall, be, shall uh, that she will conceive will indeed be the fulfillment of God's promise to David's seed. And this is important uh, as Jehoiakim and Jehoiakim, uh, that seed of David, were cursed because of their sin. So so Jesus's parental DNA was God's, right? His paternal DNA was God's, and his physical birth was through the Davidic seed of Mary. So he is God's son from the line of David, but his father is not Jehoiachin of Jehoiakim's seed. It is God, the father, that has, has given him that DNA. So Luke one thirty one says this, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, uh, and his kingdom, there shall be no end. And, and so, this is a promise that Jesus Christ, who is God, manifests in the flesh because of his paternal DNA, um, or did I get that right? His fraternal? The father. His father's DNA uh, is, what, is what gives him um, uh, the right to the the sinless to be the, the inherit the throne forever and ever. So he has not t- he has overcome the curse of Jehoiakim uh, that was before him. So the purpose of Christ's incarnation was also to provide an acceptable sacrifice for our sins. So Hebrews two nine says, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. That by, that he by the grace of God should taste death. For every man, by every man, so he's already tasted death for every man. Hebrews ten four says, "For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins." Wherefore, when he cometh into uh, the world, he saith, "Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me." Hebrews ten twelve says, "But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, uh, forever." sat down at the right hand of God. And so uh, we understand that this this Lord Jesus is the acceptable sacrifice for the sin of man, and he has overcome um, sin and death. You get to Mark chapter first John chapter three and verse five, and it says, And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, in him is no sin. Jesus Christ was sinless. Anyone tells you differently, it is not biblical. It's not of the Lord. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And so the purpose of Christ's incarnation was to provide an example to believers, to cover our sin and for those of us that get saved. First Peter 2.21 says, For even here and to you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an ensample that we should follow his steps. Anybody want to follow Jesus' steps? Yeah, I hope all of us do. That's what Alexis was saying this morning. I'm following his steps. I've named his name, I've trusted him as Lord and Savior, but I'm going to follow his steps. So now I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to follow, and I'm publicly going to go public. And at, what did Jesus do after he went public in baptism? He ministered, didn't he? He ministered, and that's what we do. We should all be ministers. We're called to serve the Lord. And that's what Christians are, are to be doing. We're to follow His example. First John two verse six, the Bible says, "And he saith, uh, he abideth in uh, he that abideth in him ought himself also to walk, even as he walked." Right. So the Bengals had it all wrong. You don't need to walk like an Egyptian. You need to walk like Jesus. Right. Amen. So 1 John 2, 6, He that saith that he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. You say you're a Christian. Come on, man. You need to walk like one. I've been listening to some podcasts, and that's one of the things that, that's actually becoming evident to many people in our c- culture and society. I read a book many years ago called uh, uh, Unstoppable Force by Edwin, Erwin, Erwin Raphael McManus. And uh, now, we don't earn our way to heaven. We're not ascetic or anything like that. We know that we're saved under good works, however. And man, uh, Erwin made a good uh, comment in this book he wrote about, and he lived in Southern California, and he's like, man, how can I I be a Christian, and I'm summarizing this, uh, how can I be a Christian and not be zealous for God when my neighbors are Hindus, when my neighbors are Muslims? You know, how can I have a casual Christian life and just lay back, And not be zealous for god when I got guys that are praying three times a day toward mecca next door I got people that are that are so serious about their hindu faith, man Their dietary constraints all those things They're not going to even think about it and they don't even have the spirit of the living god in them They're doing all of that in the flesh for a false religion I mean, how can we as christians just roll up like no big deal and be so casual? We can't be we can't be and accomplish the mission of God and the power of God for the glory of God. What do we do? We walk like Jesus and we take the pattern of Jesus and we, we walk it all the way out, even if it means our, our death, which in America, a few of us are worried about and praise God for that security. But you know what? Our real security is not in our, in our identity as a United States citizen. Our, our security is in Christ Jesus. And even if you die, you're secure in Christ. And so God traipses people through our lives as a church, people like Pradeep and others that come through Pastor Rajan. And these boys, when they're doing the ministry, when they're following Jesus Christ, it might really mean their life because there is no security from the state. Their security is solely in Jesus Christ. And beloved, it's important that we get that we follow Christ and we go all the way, especially especially when it's it's so easy here. All, what are we going to do? Take some ridicule? Someone give us a? You know, the high sign with the back of their hand or something? Oh, well, hey, whatever. Uh, Jesus is Lord and he loves us. I mean, we ought to walk in his ways. And you know what? What you'll also be shockingly surprised to find is there are tons of people right here in Cass County or Henry County or Bates County or uh, Jackson County or uh, Overland Park. What's that? Johnson County. Whatever county you live in, either Johnson Counties, I miss one. Yeah, well, there's Missouri and there's Kansas. We won't talk about Kansas. No, I'm just kidding. I don't want to offend Bob Hall. Um, We can throw a few more in. St. Clair County. Anyway, so, anyway, right here where we live, you know there's people hungry for Jesus? They're hungry to see people that are just, I don't mean stupid, stupid, uh, retarded about Jesus, but they're, they're serious about Jesus. Like, like we believe the word of God and we actually do what the Bible says and we love God and we love people. Man, that is so attractive today because that's not the messages you're getting everywhere else. And also, the messages that some people are going to get about you and myself is that we're haters. That we just hate. You know? And uh, we're from Galilee and all we want to do is throw off the Romans at all costs. Well, that's not true. We want to take over the world (laughs) for Jesus. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) I'm not stopping with the USA. Are you kidding me? That's small potatoes. So look out. So uh, the purpose of Christ's incarnation is to destroy the devil. Destroy the devil and his works. Guys, you're part of a big work. God has some business for you to do. And that's why we tie the first coming with the second coming. You want to get pumped up this morning, think about how the incarnation of Christ not only is so effective in dealing with your sin, but also setting you up to deal with the sin that has been ravaging the world for the last 2,000, well, 6,000 years. Wow! Man, you're getting in on that. Hebrews 2 says this in verse 14, For as much then as the children are partakers of the flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had power over death. That is, the devil... I didn't say that. Hebrews 2 says that. He's here to he came to destroy the devil. 1 John 3 says this in verse 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil. Choose your side. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the son of God was manifest, manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. In case we didn't get it the first time, God repeats Himself a second time and says, "I'm here." Jesus came and will and is destroying the works of the devil. He's done it already on the cross, and we're just working all of this out. And so now it's a time to choose. Maybe you've come this morning to HBF, and 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 you never thought the Christmas story would lead you to this point, but it is doing it because it brings you to a point of decision. Who are you going to follow? Because part of the incarnation of Jesus Christ does link to the second coming of Jesus Christ and it is all about who is going to rule and reign, not only in the world, but in our hearts. And whose side are we on? And I hope you're on that little baby Jesus' side. Not to get into Talladega Nights, but I'm just saying. That baby Jesus grows up and he brings it. And he's no joke. For the purposes of Christ's uh, incarnation was to provide us a high priest. We need some intercession. We need an advocate. We need propitiation. Hebrews 2 also says, Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Hebrews three one says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Hebrews 5.10 says, Called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's better than the Levitical law. He's better than the law of Moses. Why? Because he fulfilled the law of Moses. So before the law, there was another priest. His name was Melchizedek. The one that you see the first mention of tithes to. And that's Abraham gives him a tithe after defeating the Confederate army. that went in to, to defeat Sodom and Gomorrah. And they took Lot, his nephew, after whipping them and getting all of that, uh, Abraham says, hey, Melchizedek, here, let me give you a blessing. Jesus Christ is a, is, the, is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. The purpose of Christ's incarnation was to overturn the curse upon Adam's seed. This is not just a, a, when it does say unto us a child is born. It certainly is dealing with the nation of Israel historically and also prophetically. But it's also dealing with us. Us meaning you and I. And we know that from the scope of the prophecy starting in Genesis three fifteen, that seed of a woman was not just going to defeat uh, the foes of enemy uh, the, the the foes of Israel. This seed of a woman was going to def- defeat the greatest foe, and that is the devil. And the impact that he has had on Adam's sinful race. <coughs> in Romans five and verse twelve, the Bible says, "Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin? So, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sin." You know, you meet some people sometimes and say, oh, I've been saved my whole life. Really? You've never sinned your whole life. Oh, no, I'm a good person, right? And that's always, I used to say that when I was lost. That always means when you say, if you're lost, this is how you measure yourself as a good person. You look around the room, and you remember, James says, I'm not a very good guy, or whatever you said up here. <laughs> not the best son or something. Anyway, I'm just picking on you. But you try to find somebody that you can say, I'm better than him you know, whoever, I'm better than that person. And then you say, I'm a good person. Why? Well, because I'm better than them. Hey, I'm telling you, your standard is way, no offense, James, your standard is way too low, right? It's not comparing ourselves with ourselves. The Bible tells us that's unwise, even for the redeemed. There's only one standard, and that's Jesus, and it's perfection. I tell you what, beloved, beloved, Jesus came to die for the sin of the world, to redeem Adam's sinful race. In Colossians 2, the Bible says he's blotted out, right? Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Where's my condemnation? Where's your condemnation? It's been nailed to the cross if you're saved. If you've acknowledged the fact that, you know what? Compared to Jesus Christ, I'm not a good person. As a matter of fact, I'm a wretch, and it is my sin that hung him on the cross. But you know what you'll find when you come to that realization and you call upon the name, to be, uh, the name of the Lord to be saved? Is that your very sin is nailed to that cross. Man, isn't that incredible? That's what propitiation is all about. It's a big old word. But man, instead of you, it was Jesus. And he replaced you on the cross. Because, well, here it comes. He loves you. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Amen? And so, point H. For hedges. The purpose of Christ's incarnation was to glorify the Father. In John thirteen thirty one, therefore when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified and God and God glorified in him. John fourteen thirteen says, and, and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, the Father, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John seventeen four says, I have glorified thee on earth, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And so it's worth noting that discipleship was was so important that it was part of the purpose of Jesus' incarnation. In addition to atoning for our sins, he was responsible to leave behind disciples who could carry on the mission. And so I mentioned there's purpose. There's purpose in Jesus' life, and there's purpose in your life. And it is, before he even went to the cross, he's like, I finished the work that you called me to do. Why? Because he had these disciples that he'd invested in. And he had those men there that could replace him and carry on the mission in his absence. The only mention of the word disciple found in the Old Testament, by the way, is found in Isaiah chapter 8, and verse 16. And this is what it says. It says, bind up the testimony and seal the law among my disciples. Bind up the testimony and, and seal the law among my disciples. This is clearly a, a prophecy concerning the disciples of Jesus that expands uh, from the twelve even to us today. The reason that we have the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is, it tells us in Revelation, chapter, in the first chapter, that the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. You know why we've got all of that? Because we're the bride of Christ. We are the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're following him, and, and we have been, we've been commissioned to carry out the great commission, to take the word where it needs to go. The reason God has given us insights on the end days is so that we can go forward in faith and proclaim the message that he has entrusted to us. We have beloved, listen to me we we have this testimony. bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. part of Jesus' incarnation was the word that became flesh, entrusting the word to his his inspired word to his disciples. Are you a believer this morning? Amen now are you yeah. Are you a believer? Amen. Yeah, be bold. It's okay. It's Christmas. It's Christmas season. I'm a believer. You're a believer. That is great. You got to start there. Because if you don't start there, you can't be his disciple. You got to start there. You must be born again. Now, then let me speak to us that, that follow him. You know, are we really disciples? Are we disciplined? Are we being taught? Are we... Are we actually disciplined in the word? Are are you knowledgeable of what your task is? Who God saved you to be so you can accomplish that which he has saved you to do? Not everybody in this body, local New Testament church, is called to do the same thing. Not everybody's called to be a pastor. Not everybody's called to be a deacon. Not everybody's called to be a Sunday school worker. Not everybody's called to mow the lawn. Not everybody's called to change out the trash. Not every, every, God has this body fit together. And as a disciple, it's important that you follow Jesus so you can find out who you are and he can accomplish his will through you. And I'm not really, I don't want to get even into the details of what you do because that's really not important. It's who you are. It becomes who you are. So you can say, sir, yes, sir, when God calls you to go. Go ye therefore... And teach. You're going to do that no matter what you do. Whatever you put your hand to, you're willing to do for God's glory. And so, if you're not doing that now, if you're not committed to carry the, the words of God to the next generation, uh, you know what? It's time to commit to that. No matter the cost. Because that's what a disciple does. If you, if, if you want to commit your life to something that's profitable and find purpose, commit it to being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, learning who he is so you know who you are, so you have something to give to the next generation that is much more valuable than anything else they're going to find in this planet. And, and uh, the purpose of Christ's incarnation was to overturn the curse of David's seed. I've already mentioned how uh, Jehoiakim of Judah and, and Jeconiah were in trouble with God. And so in Galatians 4, the Bible tells us in verse 4, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And lastly, when it comes to purpose, the purpose of Christ's incarnation was to reconcile man to God. Amen? That's why we preach the gospel. That's why we make disciples. It's part of God's program. Evangelism, right? Uh, discipleship, missions—those all just keep recycling. If you're a good disciple, you're going to be a good evangelist, and if you're a good evangelist, you're going to be out on mission. It's all just working together because that's who God has saved us to be. That's our purpose, and that's why Jesus came and entrusted us His Word. He wants men to be reconciled to God. Second Corinthians five nineteen says, "To wit, that God in Christ uh, was in Christ—I should say rather—reconciling the world. Word, world, I'm sorry, world unto Himself." not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Hebrews 2.17 says, Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be merciful and faith, a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. T- uh, Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy two, five says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, to be testified in due time. And it is worth noting here that all means all. The sacrifice of Christ is available to all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus to save them, And that's why he calls all men everywhere to repent in Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. And so the promise of Christmas is found in the prophecy of Christ's birth. It's found in the the purpose of Christ's life. And lastly, and I'll be quick here, The promise of Christmas is revealed in humanity, in the humanity of Christ's life. You see, Jesus was all God, and yet he was all man, point A. And so Hebrews 4.15 says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. In Jesus' early ministry, he was tempted in the wilderness and passed the temptation to fulfill the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Like us, uh, Jesus had a body, According to Matthew twenty six twelve, for in that he hath poured out the ointment on his, uh, ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. His physical body died, uh, and and he died on the cross. He was anointed for that. According to Matthew twenty six twelve, like us, Jesus had a soul. John twelve t- uh, twenty seven says, "Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Uh, but for this cause came I unto this hour." As a human, he was conflicted, even in his soul, about the difficulty of his call. In Matthew twenty-six thirty-eight, Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceedingly, or is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. The weight of my sin, and the weight of your sin, brought that little child, Jesus, to a point of a, a full-grown adult man at 33 years old, and he is anguishing over, his, over our sin, because he's never committed any. Though he was tempted on all points like us, he was without sin. He died for my sin. And for your sin. Like us Jesus had a spirit. Mark two eight says, and immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within, uh, the, within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, and having said thus he gave up the ghosts. Though he was God he looked like a man. Though he was God, he looked like a man. To his family, he was a baby that was born in Bethlehem, right? He was just a child, and he grew up. To his community, to his disciples, he was a man. To the Jews, he looked like a man, but he spoke with authority of God. In John eight fifty seven, as he's uh, filleting the, the, uh, the uh, uh, Pharisees over there, it says, Then saith the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old. How sayest thou, how sayest thou that you've seen Abraham. Jesus said unto them, "Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am." They thought they were looking at a man. And he's like, "Oh no, I saw Abraham." Why? Because he's the one that gave Abraham the prophecy. Even after he created Abraham, he's the one that br- he's the one that brought Abraham forth. Even after his resurrection, Mary Magdalene mistook Jesus for the gardener. For goodness sake, in John chapter twenty and verse fifteen. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, uh, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have uh, borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. She's looking for a dead Jesus, and he's alive. You know what? That's a wonderful thing to consider. You know, don't leave Jesus in the in the manger. Don't leave him on the cross. He's alive today, and he's an amazing uh, God. He loves us and wants us to know him. His incarnation is so important. Uh, it's so important for our sins and our salvation. The promise of Christmas is revealed in his humanity. Now, lastly, Jesus' incarnation allowed Jesus to identify with our humanity. This particular message is what I'm focusing on, on is just the humanity, the incarnation, the humanity of Christ. It is important because Jesus, can you imagine that? He wants to identify or wanted to identify with our humanity, our fallen nature. He had flesh. And blood like us. He grew and developed from a child into an adult. He was asking questions in Luke 2.46. He increased in wisdom as he learned. He, he intentionally limited his understanding as a man to fulfill the role of the Son of God. Philippians 2.5.8 says this. 5-8. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God... Thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So in limiting himself, Jesus expressed divine humility through his humanity. I'll say that twice in case you missed it. In limiting himself, Jesus expressed divine humility through his humanity. What was he doing here? He was showing us what it looks like to be humble. Humble. In a God-sized way. Though it is absolutely true, it defies comprehension to consider God becoming a man. It is the the crowning achievement of humanity. Satan wanted to exalt himself to God's status. We know all about that. But God humbled himself and became a man to defeat him. I mean, what in the world? Here Satan is trying to aspire to be like God. And Jesus is like, hey, I'll tell you what. I'm going to aspire to be like the lowest of the low. I'm going to be like a, a human. And then I'm going I'm to slay you with both hands tied behind my back. That's why we serve Jesus, because he's God. He's amazing. He prayed to his father like a human would do, like we do. He, tempted, he was tempted as we are, as I've already mentioned. He, le- he learned obedience to the things that he suffered. He hungered, he thirsted, he was weary, he was tired. He slept, he loved, he had compassion, he was angered and he was grieved and he wept and he experienced joy and he was troubled as we've already seen and he sweat drops of blood for my sin and your sin. As he contemplated what it would be like not to be in fellowship with the father For even three hours on the cross. And he suffered. And he bled. And he died. Jesus came to this earth to die. Like a man. Because he was a man. Yet he was God. And he was buried. Like a man. But he was God. And he rose again the third day. Only like a man who is God. And if you want to resurrect from the dead, beloved, your faith must be in that one man. God manifests in the flesh. Jesus Christ our Lord. The incarnate Son of God. Because the promise of Christmas is found in the prophecy of Christ's birth, in the purpose of Christ's life, and it's revealed in the humanity of Christ's life. So, unto us, a child is born. Yes, this child was given to Israel, but he was also given to us. God's prophecy of his son had purpose that is manifest in God, identifying himself as a human for our redemption. And this is the greatest gift that the world has ever seen. The real meaning of Christmas that is often lost if we forget that Christ is what Christmas is all about. So, if you're here this morning and you've never received the the gift of eternal life, that's ultimately the best gift that you could receive this christmas and I pray that today you would receive that gift if you're a Christian here today, you might feel even a little lost, maybe you've lost a loved one there may be loneliness maybe you're not getting caught up in all the joy 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 going around on the on the on the uh, atmosphere. I get it, but be encouraged this morning because Christ has more for you than crass commercialism. God has provided all that you need. And even when you're down and depressed, you know what? He is touched with the feeling of your infirmities. He can get to where you're at. And only where he get to where you're at, he has gotten where we're at, he wants to take us so much further. There is hope. There is something to look forward to. There's hope beyond death. There's hope beyond tribulation. There's hope beyond discouragement. And it's found in Christ. So next week when we get together, we're gonna to go to the next comma and we're gonna look at the son that was given. But today, let's just take a moment and let me just ask you, what has God spoken to you about this morning in relation to your life and the incarnation of Christ and how he has affected you? Hopefully this morning you're saved. If you're not saved, thats the, I guarantee you that's the first thing that God wants you to consider is if I died, where did I spend eternity in heaven? Has the incarnation of Christ had an impact on my life that will resurrect me and give me eternal life with him. If not, why not? Because the message is simple. Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for our sin. He was buried and he rose again the third day. He is alive right now. And if you're lost and you know you need to be saved, I've been where you're at. The Holy Spirit of God, without me even telling you, is talking to you and he's all up in your business and he's telling you, you need to be saved. You must be born again and you know you need to. You need to step out by faith and receive the gift of eternal life. It is a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't jump too high to, you can't do ten jumping jacks and get it. There's no you don't have to work your way into heaven. You don't have to get baptized. All you gotta do is receive it. You gotta receive it though. Let's stand together in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we conclude this morning, I pray a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word. I pray God for those that may be in the in the room this morning that don't know you as Lord and Savior, maybe online this morning, I pray God that today they would receive the gift of eternal life. It's so simple. That Jesus Christ has done all the work and we just have to receive that gift. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. If you're here this morning and and you're like, Brian, you were talking to me, I need to be saved. But you're like scared, paralyzed maybe, uncomfortable. I get it. Would you let me pray for you right now? If you're here this morning and you're like, hey, Brian, I need to be saved. I know it, but I'm, I'm paralyzed in fear, frankly. Okay, that's fine. Would you just raise your hand right where you are so I can pray for you? Anyone at all? I'm looking around. I don't see anybody. So stick it up in the air. Please, if you're, if you're there, let me pray for you. Maybe you don't even have the courage to do that. So I'm going to pray for someone. I may not, I don't know if you're here or not. But Heavenly Father, if there's anyone on the sound of my voice, or maybe even watching online that needs to be saved, I pray today that the best way they know how, they would cry out to you. And they would believe because of what the Word of God says, that you had lived a sinless life, that you fulfilled that prophecy You were all God, but you were also all man and you died on the cross for their sin. You identified with us by becoming a human. And yet you rose again the third day and you're sitting at the right hand of the Father and you've sent forth your Holy Spirit and you're calling all men everywhere to repent. And today I pray if there's anyone under the sound of my voice that's not saved, that today they would simply with their whole heart cry out to Jesus Christ and thank him for dying on the cross in their place and receive that gift of eternal life by faith. And thank him. For saving their soul and receive him with gladness in their heart. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray for the saints in this room. Lord, I know without raising hands, there are people here that they've lost loved ones, and and this time of year is not always the easiest. There's people struggling with cancer. We have members laid up in the hospital right now, and Lord, it doesn't always go as smooth as a Hallmark movie. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray this morning for your saints that you just encourage our hearts in this series in the next few weeks that you have us prepared to, to take the gospel out uh, and give the real meaning of Christmas in the next, few, uh, the next few weeks. And even today as we go to lunch in different places, Lord, I pray, God, that your good hand would be upon your saints and that you would advance your kingdom for your honor and glory. We thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for, for listening. You may be seated. We're going to have a few announcements. I'm going to invite Mitch Newland. Here in just a moment to to come up and pray over the offering, and uh, as he does that, uh, you can go ahead and come, Mitch. Um, he's going to have a few things to share after after he prays over the offering. We thank I want to thank you for coming this morning. Um, I had oh, I just want to remind you if you're part of the AV team, uh, remember we have a meeting right after church in the library, and so uh, so uh, if you could, no, Mitch, get that one over there. You'll have a hard time with that boom mic. <laughs> It looked like Elvis up here. You'll have to get it sideways. And it's not good. So uh, anyway, but Mitch has just returned from a trip uh, to, uh, to uh, Oaxaca, and uh, he's going to share that with you after he prays over the offering. And, and as he uh, pr- prays and gets ready to pray, I just want to remind you that uh, on the 24th of December, we're going to be taking up a special love offering for missionaries as we do every year. It's our Christmas offering. It's in the bulletin. So you can see that. So be praying about that. Thanks, Mitch.
1: All right, let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you for today. I thank you for uh, just the message that you've laid on Brian's heart to preach to us, and I just pray that we would receive it. And Lord, we thank you for your provision that you continually have in our lives. Uh, I pray that we would be uh, giving back to you joyfully and uh, that we would know that all we have is only because of you. And I pray that you would just uh, just continue to increase the offering uh, supernaturally as you always do and that you would continue to provide for your saints and for uh, your, your building and your body. And we just give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright guys, so as you know, I think they already got the pictures going. So we went to Oaxaca, Mexico to minister to Joe and Amy Hendricksman, our missionaries down there in Oaxaca. This was our team this year, so you had uh, Kinley and Linda Jones there in the middle and Mickey Fox uh, on the left, right, whichever side that is. And uh, this is actually up in a town I'll talk about in a minute. So this was, it was a super good trip, we did about 10 days, two days of it was travel. And uh, go ahead and go to the next picture. Oh, go back, where's the one on their wall? Was that the first picture? There you go. So they painted this. This wasn't on the wall last year at the mission base. And uh, they painted this on there. They had a lady from their ascending church paint this. That's the state of Oaxaca. So Mexico, if you know anything, it's kind of laid out. They have states. And uh, where they at? Where they are at is Santa Maria, which is down there at the very bottom. You see Bahia's de Hueltuco, and then Santa Maria above it. That's where they're at. And Oaxaca City is like an eight-hour drive through the mountains, just to give you a reference of how big that is. And then, they, obviously, have the magnitude of God's love and the scope of their responsibility And go ahead and go to the two pictures over. So this is the church building. Last year, Caleb and I got to go down, and this building was not there. And HBF has had a huge part in actually funding that and getting that established. Caleb and I got to pray with Joe over the land last year, and just to see how much has progressed, even in the last year, is amazing. I mean, they didn't have a church building uh, for the people to meet, in; they were renting a place. So this is just wonderful. This will actually be the future Christian school upstairs and downstairs, and they're going to build a sanctuary, basically, right where that dirt pile is, kind of this way a little bit, and they'll have the sanctuary in the future. You can go into the next picture. So that's inside. That's the congregation on the first Sunday we were there. And they averaged probably about 55 in attendance. So it's a pretty good congregation. There's Joe up there. This is in San Isidro Limon, which is a mission church that they have. And he has a pastor that helps him out, and that's down the street from that guy's mother's house. And he's the pastor there. That church also was not built last year. So they've had a church that's kind of um, adopted some of their churches that have helped funded them a lot. And so they have that one built. And they have another one that's in, uh, it's a town called the 20th of November. They also have a building now that wasn't there last year. So God's doing a lot of good work in getting these buildings up so they have a place to meet. Go ahead and go to the next picture, guys. So we, every night, for a few nights, we packed bags. Some of you guys sent us with Hot Wheels and stuff like that. We took fidget spinners, Hot Wheels. Um, What else did I pack in the bag? I don't remember. There was a ton of things packed in the bag. But we like to give those out for the kids. And we go out and give out packets of Johns and Romans. We have three different kinds of tracks. We go up into the mountains and hand those out to the kids. So on nights, we would pack those. And Linda and Mickey got to help in the Christian school. So they have a Christian school of about 25 students and this is Linda helping with uh, English as a second language, so she got to help out with that. They did a great job. And then more packing bags. That's Fatima and her uh, cousin, Peely. <clears throat> they helped us pack bags one night. They're a super good time. Rosa is Fatima's mom, and she helps with a lot of the stuff at the church and the women's ministry and stuff like that. Mr. Kinley, painting away. He showed me up a lot. So we painted the exterior and the interior of the church, or of the future Christian school. So go ahead and go to the next picture. this was on Wednesday night. It's the 20th of November. We did a little children's lesson out there. He usually has a church service out there, but there wasn't a lot of adults that night, so we just focused on the kids. And Linda and Mickey did a puppet show. And after that, three of those kids sitting there got saved afterwards, so that was awesome. And that was a beautiful view in the mountains up in that town, and there's a family that lets us do everything there at their house. So we set up a little impromptu uh, screen for the puppet show, and it was a great time. All right. So probably one of the coolest things that we all agree that we did is we were out in town in Santa Maria giving out packets and just going around the town to some of the markets. And we were driving, and we found there's a second-class bus stop. And at that second-class bus stop, there's a bunch of people there. And Joe had never noticed that before. They'd never been there before. So we roll up in there to go find out what's going on, and it's a bunch of refugees from South America. And they had walked, some of them, for up to 13 days to get there. So we stopped, Joe left us there, and then he went and got a bunch of bananas and apples at the store, came back. We gave them all packets, and then we gave them all apples and bananas, and then we came back. About four hours later, we left, and we prepared 110 meals and came back and fed them all. So it was a huge blessing. Uh, This is actually something, and that kid's from Honduras. We were playing with him for quite a while with that ball, and uh, I came back later and gave him a soccer ball. And uh, so these people, it's a new batch literally every day. So they're getting new people in through that town every day. They went back this past Thursday and fed them again a different group and then preached to them and all that stuff. So it's been a great, it's a great opportunity to minister to people who are in need. And although it's, I know, controversial for a lot of people, these people are most likely heading up towards our border. But we're able to catch them at a middle point in Santa Maria before they head to Oaxaca City and minister to them there, and, which is a great blessing and a great opportunity. Uh, so that was all the pictures of the refugees. There's a lot more. If you get on my Facebook, if any of you are on Facebook, there's all sorts of pictures. This is, um, I just had, my brain went blank. Um, this is Pluma Hill So this is a coffee plantation town we went up to. We went up there to go pass out packets and Joe's kind of focused a lot on children up there because a lot of the adults are kind of stuck in their ways and a little stubborn and hard to get to. So the kids is a great way and a great opportunity. And on our way up there, there's an elementary school up the hill. And we didn't know, Joe didn't know, this was a kindergarten down the hill. It was a very steep hill to get to. So we were able to get connected with that, and they all came up the hill to see us, and we gave them all the toys and everything like that. So they all got Hot Wheels, and it was a good time. But the town we went into um, in Pluma, we went up there to kind of relax for a little bit, but also give out packets. There was some sort of event. It was a, um, a vaccination or something. And all the kids literally came to the center of town. So we didn't even have to move. All the kids came to us. So we gave out packets to all the kids in town. And uh, that was pretty cool. And uh, if you go back a couple slides, that's the mountains from the coffee plantation up in, uh, up in uh, Pluma. That mountain right there on the other side of that is Santa Maria. So that's just a reference where that's at. Go ahead and go to the next picture. Saturday, we did a youth event, and uh, one of the, we did a scavenger hunt. One of the tasks was to get a taxi driver to take a picture of us inside of his taxi. So that's me and the three boys that were teenagers inside of his taxi. And this is just a view from, uh, there's a lighthouse that he takes us to every time, and it's up on a, a cliffside, and that's just a picture from there. This is church on Sunday. You can tell we painted. So we did, a, we did the cream color all the way around the top. And then they're going to paint different colors, hopefully, uh, along the bottom for the classes and stuff like that. So we did all that work for them. And that's Philos. So that's the mission church pastor. That's who that is. And then the last night we were there, we baked Christmas cookies with Fatima. And uh, everybody got to bake cookies and eat cookies. She made us all ones with our little initials and stuff like that. So that was fun. But I think that's all the pictures we have. But it was a great time. I highly encourage you guys to, if, not, if you're not on a prayer team, Uh, To pray about going on one of these trips, they're not difficult, uh, they're not hard to do. Kinley can attest, he painted away all week, uh, about three three or four days we painted, and that wasn't in our plan. The biggest thing that we can do for our missionaries, especially when we visit them, is to be flexible and to be willing to adapt to whatever they need us to do. And uh, Joe, it was funny, we were down there and he shared a little devotion on uh, the prodigal son. And, uh, you think of the prodigal son and also, uh, the good Samaritan and, uh, talking about compassion and having compassion on people. Joe and Amy have a tremendous amount of compassion on people, but the thing about compassion is it leads us to move and to do something. And that's something we all need to do. But what's always been on my heart going on these trips is in Colossians four, eight, it says that Tychicus was sent to the church of Colossae to know their estate and to comfort their hearts. And that's what we need to do. Because even though we may not be called to foreign missions permanently, there are people who are, and they need us to come support them and to come comfort them. So uh, I want to thank you all for praying for us. I know you guys had wristbands and stuff like that, so I appreciate that. I think I am over time, so I'll go ahead and stop it. It was a great trip. So I just wanted to thank you guys, and that's it.
2: Okay. I got a couple of closing announcements, and then we will be out of here. Um, one of the thing, There's several things in your bulletin. I'm not going to go over all of them, uh, but there's a couple of inserts in there. One of them uh, Brian mentioned is the um, Christmas offering, so we do that every year. Um, we'll take it up officially on Christmas Eve, but the online giving option is open now, um, and that, that money all just goes directly to the missionaries that we support. So if you're interested in giving to that, that's available now um next week uh, mitch didn't mention i thought he might the uh, kingdom seekers are doing a a bake sale they do that every year in december and uh, we've done that i don't know three or four years in a row now and this year the funds from that are going to go help uh, put some lights out on our playground so they can play especially like on wednesday nights when it gets dark so early um so they're going to be doing that next week so if you can bring things to sell in the bake sale um, or if you obviously want to buy uh, things in the bake sale. That'll be taking place in the foyer right after church next Sunday. Um, so that, that'll that be a good uh, fundraiser for them. They do that, like I said, every year. And then uh, the Christmas boxes, the Christmas food boxes that we do.